We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. When asked their greatest fear, many people say the usual. Some fear heights, others spiders or snakes, creepy crawlies. But overall, one fear that always charts high on the list is clowns. Since clowns first emerged centuries ago, they've been met with mixed reviews. The character and nature of a clown is highly unpredictable and often mischievous. Some folks view them as fun or silly and associate them with going to the circus. But others find them to be odd and unsettling. Clowns simply put them on edge. Physically, their big red noses, strangely shaped eyebrows, and oversized lips distort the face so the brain perceives it as human, but just slightly off. There's something about not knowing what's going on in the mind of a person behind all that face paint and a mask. Who are they underneath it all? And what are they capable of? This brings us to today's case. One morning in the affluent town of West Palm Beach, Florida, a 40-year-old mother named Marlene Warren was sitting down for breakfast with her 21-year-old son and a couple of his friends. A very ordinary morning. When suddenly, there was a knock at the door. Marlene opened it up and found a clown standing on her front doorstep. The clown was dressed in full get-up, makeup, red clown nose, and was wearing an orange wig. In one hand, the clown had a basket of red and white flowers, and in the other hand, two balloons, one of which read, you're the greatest. Marlene was excited to see what she thought was a gift from her husband. She said out loud, oh, how pretty, as she reached for the flowers. And then, a bang. Marlene's son and friends thought that maybe one of the balloons had just popped, but it was far more sinister than that. The clown had shot Marlene, and Marlene's son watched as the killer clown casually and calmly returned to their getaway car and drove off. After this, the official hunt began. Police alerted the community to be on the lookout for a killer in a clown costume. For more than three decades, this bizarre case a story shrouded in mystery, dominated the headlines. And everyone wondered, who was the killer clown? This is Avery After Dark, and I am your host, Avery Ross. This is a very exciting day. From now on, Avery After Dark will be a visual podcast, so you can watch the episodes on YouTube and see all the photos and videos that go along with the stories and cases. And I wanted to give you all that option because I know sometimes you're in the mood to just listen. Maybe you're on the go. And sometimes you're in the mood to sit down and watch an episode. And now I have you covered either way. So make sure you subscribe and follow wherever you watch or listen to Avery After Dark. And if you dig this podcast, 
leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to support the show, you can join the Patreon. I'm linking that below in the show notes. Thank you to everyone for all of your continued support. And now, today's case. It's one of the more creepy true crime cases we've covered here on Avery After Dark because it involves a killer clown. So how did this all transpire? To understand it, let's go back to the beginning. Marlene Warren was born on April 15, 1950, in Macomb County, Michigan. At a very young age, Marlene had her first son, John, when she was only 15 years old. Not long after this, she had another son named Joe. Marlene ended up marrying the father of her children, but he was later tragically killed in a car accident, leaving Marlene a single mother with two young kids. Enter Michael Warren. In her very early 20s, Marlene met a man by the name of Michael Warren and the two got married. And Michael began to raise Marlene's children as his own. Marlene and Michael eventually moved to West Palm Beach, Florida, specifically Wellington. They moved to this area because Michael had family who lived there. And West Palm Beach is a very beautiful area of Florida, very well-to-do, very affluent. Palm Beach, Florida is rated as one of the most expensive places to live in all of America. There, Michael Warren got a job as a meat inspector, and he and Marlene started to buy up rental units. Eventually, the couple accumulated over 20 properties. And Marlene managed the business end of things. They would buy up tons of duplexes, condos, apartments, and manage the properties. They even got into flipping homes. But Marlene was reportedly a real sweetheart and apparently had a big issue with the ethical side of the business. She didn't want to or like to evict tenants for not paying. She didn't want to kick anyone out onto the street. She had a big heart and was very generous and caring. So much so that it wasn't uncommon for Marlene to go out shopping for families that weren't so fortunate. She was a very charitable person. So this side of the business didn't really sit right with her, and she didn't feel good about it. Michael, on the other hand seemed to have different priorities than his wife, Marlene. The meat inspecting business wasn't cutting it for Michael, so he eventually left and started a car dealership and called it Bargain Motors. Now, this dealership didn't have the best reputation in town. Very shady. People found titles were modified on some of the cars there. Mileage didn't match the odometers. In 1983, suspicions were confirmed when Michael was arrested for tampering with odometers and was sentenced to 18 months probation. The reason someone would tamper with an odometer would be so that they could sell the car for more than it's worth. Someone brings in a car with 100,000 miles, they roll back the odometer and sell it at a much higher price. This is scamming the buyer into purchasing a car under false pretenses. And it's just a really awful way to run a business. Along with Michael's sentencing, he was ordered to pay a couple of his prior customers a sizable fee in order to make good. Aside from this, Michael and Marlene seemed to be doing quite well financially. Their rental property business along with the used car lot was proving to be profitable for the couple. Michael Warren had enough money to eventually purchase his very own airplane, and the couple purchased a nice home in an upscale neighborhood in Wellington. Now, this is a very high-end neighborhood, so much so that all of the mansions in the neighborhood back up to a runway for their private jets and choppers. 
It's like neighborhoods that back up to a golf course or a park. This was even richer than that. The residents in this neighborhood could walk out their front doors and take their helicopter or private jet to work. How is that for wealth? In Florida, Marlene really made a life for herself and she fit in really well. She made friends quickly. She was a member of the Wellington Aero Club. Michael, on the other hand, didn't fit in so well. People in town viewed him as bizarre. Along with the rumors from his shady dealership and his charges stemming from rolling back odometers at Bargain Motors, mystery seemed to follow Michael Warren. Strange things kept happening to him. For example, Michael bought and owned racehorses. And one time, one of his horses was mysteriously kidnapped. Another time, Michael's airplane was also stolen, but recovered sometime later. Hmm, just weird stuff. And Michael seemed to always be the common denominator. According to friends and family, Michael and Marlene were living separate lives in Florida. All the while maintaining this outward appearance of being this very successful couple, the Warrens had a net worth of close to $1 million. Marlene had her children to care for, her rental business and her social activities, and Michael seemed to be off doing whatever it is that he was doing. And the couple only became more distant when on September 23, 1988, Marlene's son John was killed in a car accident. He failed to stop at an intersection and crashed into another car. So in the aftermath, things weren't going well. But it wasn't just that the couple was growing apart. It seemed to be much deeper than that. Marlene had reportedly threatened to divorce Michael and also felt that he was being unfaithful to her. But that's not all. Marlene was supposedly becoming afraid that Michael may kill her, even going so far as to tell her mother that if anything happens to me, Michael did it. To not be getting along with a partner or spouse, to be considering divorce is one thing. But to tell your family that you believe they're going to kill you, that's alarming. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. I mentioned Marlene really wrestled with the ethics of the couple's rental property business. Marlene just didn't feel right and didn't want to evict anyone. It wasn't in her nature and it seemed to really bother her over time. She even shared plans with family that she wanted to get out of it, sell the condos and apartments so she didn't have to be in the position to ever evict anyone ever again. In 1990, Michael Warren was charged again, this time with multiple counts of fraud, grand theft auto, and odometer tampering. So yet again, Michael is being caught and charged. On the morning of May 26, 1990, it was around 11 a.m. and Marlene was sitting down at the breakfast table with her son Joe, who was 21 at the time, and his friends, enjoying their morning, the usual. Out of their side view, they see a white Chrysler convertible pull into their driveway. And then there was a knock at the door. Marlene gets up, walks over, and opens up the front door to see a clown standing on her front doorstep. This clown is dressed in white face paint, a red nose, and an orange wig, but is wearing combat boots, not clown shoes. The clown is holding two balloons. One of these balloons says, you're the greatest. And the other balloon has Snow White and the Seven Dwarves on it. The clown is also holding a basket with red and white flowers. Marlene's first thought is that this is a gift from her husband, Michael, because Marlene and her family are actually really into clowns. 
Marlene's family has clown paintings and art all over their house, so she sees this clown on her doorstep with balloons and flowers, and Marlene is excited. She believes this to be a nice sentiment from her husband, and she says, Oh, how pretty, and begins to lean out of the doorway to take the flowers and balloons. The clown then took out a 38 caliber pistol, and there was a bang. The clown shot Marlene Warren in the face, just above her upper lip. In the kitchen, no one expects this, and when they first heard the shot, they thought it was one of the balloons popping. But then, Marlene's son Joe sees his mom fall to the ground and knows something has happened. Joe was actually in a cast at the time from another accident, but he begins to slowly make his way to the door. But it's hard for him to make it there quickly because of the cast. When he gets to Marlene, he looks up to see the clown walking away in an unusually calm way back towards a white Chrysler that's parked in the driveway. The engine is running and the driver's side door is wide open. Joe screams out to the clown and their eyes meet. And he described the clown's eyes as very dark, very deep. With his cast, Joe is trying to catch up with the clown, but couldn't run quick enough and the clown drives off. Joe and his friend get into the car, dialing 911 in the midst, and try and chase after the white convertible, but they say the car disappeared. When police get to the scene, Marlene Warren was immediately taken to Palms West Hospital, and the prognosis wasn't good. The bullet was lodged in her spinal cord, and Marlene was put on life support. And at her side was her husband, Michael Warren. He was at the hospital with her, crying and distraught. In the meantime, investigators begin trying to question Joe and his friends and gather information about what they saw. Joe, Marlene's son, couldn't tell if this clown was a man or a woman, but one of his other friends who was there got a look at the clown and told police that the clown was definitely a man, not a woman. Police also speak with a neighbor who happened to be walking by Marlene's house at the time of the crime and said that he saw the clown, heard a loud bang, and saw this clown getting into that white Chrysler convertible. Police put out a bolo for a clown in an orange wig driving a white convertible, hoping it was so strange, so unusual, so creepy that someone would have to see this person and be able to ID them. I mean, this costume is the opposite of discreet. Someone has to have seen them. They had police cars out looking for the Chrysler, but like Joe said, it was like the car disappeared. Investigators were not able to question Marlene as she wasn't doing well. She was on life support. And a couple days later, on May 28th, Marlene Warren passed away at the hospital. An autopsy was performed later and showed that Marlene Warren died of a bullet wound from either a 38 or 357 caliber. As soon as this case hit the headlines, it became a major mystery within the town. Who would dress up in a clown costume to kill someone? This is twisted. But let's go back to the day of the crime because there was a phone call that police found very interesting. Hours after the shooting, police received an anonymous tip. On the line, an unidentified woman was urging police to look at Marlene's husband, Michael Warren, and another woman by the name of Sheila Keene in connection to Marlene's murder. Now, Sheila was an employee at Michael's car dealership. So the question is, could Michael Warren have been the clown that came to the door that day? I mean, one of Joe's friends did say the clown was definitely a man. The anonymous tip is urging police to look further into Michael. 
And we have Marlene fearing that Michael could end up doing something to hurt her leading up to the murder. And we know there were tensions and issues within the marriage. But Michael Warren really gave no indication that he was involved. He was at Marlene's side the whole time at the hospital, visibly distraught. Police didn't see any suspicious behavior from him. He wasn't at home selling off her things. He wasn't listing their house for sale, which we've seen in other cases where the husband is the guilty party. This idea that Michael could be the killer clown stopped short as investigators find that Michael has a rock-solid alibi. At the time of the crime, Michael was driving down Interstate 95 with two friends on the way to a racetrack. These two friends confirmed his alibi, and logically, he was pretty far away from the Warrens' house at this time, so this didn't really add up. But Michael seemed to be the one with the motive. As that anonymous tip suggested, there were rumors that Michael was having an affair with a woman who worked for him. Sheila Keen, she worked as a repo agent, and she was reportedly not so torn about repossessing a car if someone couldn't pay, or kicking someone out of a rental property. Very different from Marlene. Coworkers of Michael and Sheila said they took long, long lunches, just the two of them. And Sheila Keen had a criminal history. She had been charged with shoplifting and theft when she was younger. Another employee at Bargain Motors told investigators that leading up to the murder, one day, Marlene had visited the dealership, and there, she and Michael reportedly argued. When she left, Michael Warren allegedly said, How much would it cost to make my wife disappear? As police investigate Marlene and Michael, they see that Marlene's name was on most of the properties they owned. So if Michael and Marlene were to divorce, Marlene would have made out really well, probably better than Michael, to be honest. So his lifestyle would have changed if they were to divorce. But if Marlene were to die, Michael would inherit everything. Every house, every property, it would all be his. Police found Michael had an alibi, but they want to talk to Sheila. Investigators interview her in regards to her whereabouts at the time of the crime. And she tells police that she was working at that time, driving around looking for vehicles to repossess which isn't much of an alibi as no one could confirm it. They even ask her, do you remember what cars you were looking for specifically? And she couldn't remember. Although, she denied any involvement in the murder and also denied being romantically involved with Michael Warren. But police weren't going to stop there. They have another person who may have some information. Sheila Keen's husband. Yes, she too was married to a man named Richard Kane. And boy, did he have a completely different story to tell. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. Investigators questioned Sheila Kane's husband, Richard Kane, and he says that Sheila left him in January 1990, just a few months before Marlene was shot. He also tells investigators that he knew Michael Warren, and he too heard quite a few rumors that Michael and Sheila were having an affair. Police also learned that Sheila was living in an apartment paid for by Michael Warren since her split with her husband. And the apartment was only 16 miles away from where Marlene and Michael lived. Shameless. So we have the anonymous tipper, co-workers at the dealership, Sheila's husband, all clearly saying, yeah, these two were having an affair. 
But Sheila and Michael continue to say no. They just work together. It's strictly a professional relationship. But police aren't going based off what these two say and keep pressing. They learn that Sheila, in the business that she is in, repoing people's cars out from underneath them, would often carry a gun. Because that line of work can become aggressive, she apparently carried it for protection. So police inquire about what kind of gun. And it couldn't be, could it? It was said that Sheila carried a 38 caliber pistol, the exact kind of pistol that was used to shoot Marlene Warren. This was also confirmed by Sheila's husband that the couple did own a 38 caliber and Sheila was known to carry it. Police asked Sheila about this and she says, oh, that gun? That was stolen or lost about a month before the murder and continues to deny any involvement in the murder or with Michael Warren. One thing that police had in this case was the clown costume. This was so unusual, they felt they could use it to gain traction. So investigators begin questioning some local costume shops around the area, and they come across a certain local store and question two female employees who work there, and they get a hit. These women tell police, oh yeah, we had a woman come in two days before the shooting on May 24th to buy a costume. And the story of this woman is peculiar. The woman at the shop said they had just closed up for the evening and had locked up the store, when suddenly a woman appeared and began banging on the front door, demanding to be let inside. The women initially told her, ma'am, we're closed. We're locked up, we're leaving for the evening. But they said this woman would not take no for an answer. She was very pushy. They told her to come back in the morning, but this woman said, no, I can't. I need a certain costume right now, tonight. So they finally said, all right, and let her inside. This unidentified woman says that she knows exactly what she wants, so this won't take long at all. And so what does this mysterious woman buy? A clown costume, some makeup, a red clown nose, and a bright orange wig. Gotta get that wig. Police confirm this purchase at the costume shop on May 24th and also bring in photos of Sheila Keen to share with those who they question. Because at this point, they're very suspicious of her and are hoping someone could ID her. When they offer up the photos of Sheila along with a few others, the women instantly recognize Sheila and ID her as the woman who purchased the clown costume. Police also speak with an employee at a local public supermarket in West Palm Beach that was less than a mile away from Sheila's apartment. And this employee told police that they remembered selling a woman flowers and balloons that matched the ones at the crime scene. And furthermore, these purchases were made around 9 a.m. the day of the shooting, just mere hours before. I mean, come on. The employee said the woman who purchased these items had long dark hair and was also wearing gloves. This matched Sheila Keene's description yet again. Another thing police had to go on was the car. On May 30th, 1990, four days after the crime, the white Chrysler convertible that the clown used as the getaway car was located, abandoned in a Winn-Dixie parking lot. It was eight miles from the crime scene and nine miles from Sheila's apartment. Inside the vehicle, police find orange synthetic wig hair and long brown hair strands, consistent with Sheila Keen's hair. 
Police search Sheila's apartment that same day and find the same fake orange hair strands and fibers on Sheila's shoes that match the Chrysler convertible. Here's the thing though, DNA analysis at the time wasn't as advanced. It was really in its infancy and relevant DNA could not be taken from any of the hairs found. But police find this car has a strange backstory. Where exactly did it come from? Investigators were surprised to find that this Chrysler belonged to another car dealership called Payless in West Palm Beach, and it was reportedly recently stolen. This dealership, Payless, was actually a major competitor to Bargain Motors. And a month before Marlene's murder, a customer of Payless mistakenly called Bargain Motors to return a white Chrysler convertible they had rented from Payless. You would think that Bargain Motors would let this customer know, uh, hey, you have the wrong dealership, but whoever was on the other end of the line at Bargain Motors did not. The customer said someone at Bargain Motors instructed them to leave the car on the street outside the gate and leave the keys inside. So this customer did exactly that. But then the vehicle was stolen. It's all very suspicious. At this point in time, police have quite a bit of circumstantial evidence in the case. And finding this car led them straight back to Bargain Motors. This is a solid lead. So they begin to look into Bargain Motors and its business records. And they don't find anything that ties Michael to the murder of Marlene Warren. But they do find a lot of insurance fraud, racketeering, and a ton of other offenses. This case involves a killer clown, and it truly became a criminal circus. Michael Warren is charged and spent almost four years behind bars. But what about Marlene's case? Well, time passed and police just didn't feel they had enough to move forward with any charges. Investigators believe that Sheila was the clown who shot and killed Marlene and felt that Michael could possibly be involved, but they felt they didn't have enough evidence to move forward. This was especially devastating for Joe, Marlene's son, who not only witnessed his mother's murder and chased after her killer, but after her death, didn't even inherit any of Marlene's estate. That went to Michael Warren. Joe said he always suspected Sheila Keen Warren was involved in his mother's murder and suspected that his stepdad was having an affair with her. Joe said that he saw his stepdad wasn't coming home anymore, and that said it all. Joe also recalled a time when Sheila was openly flirting with Michael at a house party while his mother was standing right there, right next to them. But sadly, the case went cold. In 2002, 12 years after Marlene's murder, there were wedding bells. Sheila and Michael, who for years denied having an affair, went to Las Vegas and got married. The couple moved to Virginia and Sheila began using a different name. She went by Debbie and told people that it was just a nickname that she acquired in childhood. Side note, no one from her childhood confirmed she was ever called Debbie. Why would a woman named Sheila be nicknamed Debbie? Sheila and Michael started up and owned a restaurant called The Purple Cow that served hamburgers. The restaurant was a success, and for the most part, it seemed it was happily ever after for the two. But the truth always comes out in the end, doesn't it? In 2013, something big happened. Police officially reopened the investigation into Marlene's murder. This came when a new prosecutor named Reed Scott revisited forensic evidence in the case. And a few years later in 2017, a more advanced DNA analysis determined that the long brown hairs and orange wig fibers found inside that Chrysler getaway car matched Sheila Keen, tying her to the car, to the crime scene, and to the murder of Marlene Warren. 
Sheila was arrested and charged with first-degree murder with a firearm. Finally, justice. But when she was arrested, she asked officers a very interesting question. The question was, is my husband Michael under arrest too? He wasn't. But a very curious question, isn't it? At that point, Sheila and Michael had sold their restaurant and thought they were going to retire. But not so fast. On April 25th, 2023, just recently, now 59-year-old Sheila Keen Warren pled guilty to second-degree murder. The big question everyone was asking, including the press, was, what about Michael Warren? Was he involved? Would he be arrested? He says he was not involved. And when asked if Sheila was, he says that he doesn't believe that she is. He thinks that she's being falsely accused because if he did believe she was involved, he would never have been with her. He also says this is just very unfair and very serious. Hmm. In regards to the charges, the state's case was weakened, as a number of their key witnesses from the case had died in the year since. But there were documents released that year that were very, let's say, interesting and revealing. There was an attorney in 1991 who had spoken to police and given a statement. He told them about a conversation he had with Michael Warren a year or so before Marlene was murdered. This attorney told police that he and Michael were walking out of a courthouse one day when Michael Warren turned to him and asked, what would the ramifications be if a husband killed his wife on her estate? The attorney told Michael, well, if the husband had a friend do it and the police couldn't tie the husband to the friend, he would get away with it. Yikes. So for someone to ask this in the first place is appalling, but also how this was answered is just sickening. This attorney giving advice on how to get away with murder, but that's not all. In this conversation, this attorney also added, if someone wore a clown suit, they would definitely get off because they couldn't really be identified. They wouldn't even know if the killer was male or female. What? A really evil conversation. There's no other way to put it. But this is pretty shocking stuff that this attorney came to police with. So Sheila was being held without bond, but she and Michael had money, so they hired a well-known defense team for her. The terms of Sheila's plea deal was a 12-year sentence, but with time served and good behavior, it's likely that she will be released within the next year or so. Joe, Marlene's son, said the pain after his mother's death and the fact that his family didn't get justice led him into a depression and alcohol addiction. He later entered rehab and said his mental health has improved. And he was shocked by the arrest and told 2020, I never thought I was going to get a guilty verdict. That was a shock. It just blew my mind. End quote. The Palm Beach County State Attorney said, a measure of justice was achieved for Marlene Warren, and that finally, after decades, Sheila was forced to admit that she dressed up as a clown and took the life of an innocent victim, Marlene Warren. She will be known as a convicted murderer for the rest of her life. And yes, Sheila Keen Warren will be known as the killer clown for the rest of her days. But not surprisingly, Sheila still maintains that she's innocent and is not the killer. And it was said that, quote, while it was difficult to plead guilty to a crime she did not commit, it was kind of a no-brainer when there's a guarantee that you will be home with your family, end quote. 
Michael Warren has never been charged in Marlene's murder and continues to deny any involvement. But there's one more thing, a deathbed confession. Years back, one of Bargain Motors' old employees, a man by the name of John Morin, passed away. And after he died, his son John Jr. came forward to police and said that his father, on his deathbed, told him everything that went down with Michael Warren and Marlene's murder. He says, they were the ones who worked at the dealership. They were the ones who rolled back the odometers at Michael Warren's request. They did the dirty work. And he also said they were the ones that disposed of the gun that was used to kill Marlene Warren and disposed of the second getaway car. We know that White Chrysler was ditched in that Winn-Dixie parking lot. But according to him, there was a second getaway car that was used to pick Sheila up from that parking lot. And that car was disposed of in a local canal. Now, police were never able to recover the gun, but were able to recover a car in the canal, just as John said. So the validity of this confession is questioned, but usually when someone is nearing death, they make a deathbed confession to help alleviate the guilt, regrets, secrets, or sins that the dying person may have had in their life. So I'll leave you with this. Why would an attorney go to police with a disgraceful confession of a conversation where he seemingly advised someone how to successfully get away with murder? Why would someone do that? Why would someone risk their own reputation for nothing? That makes no sense. And furthermore, why would a dying man with only days, hours to live, spend his final moments confessing to crimes that he didn't commit? That makes no sense either. And many would say he wouldn't. So was justice served in this case? What are your thoughts on it all? Leave them in the comments. I would love to know your take on the killer clown case. Until next episode, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark. <laughs>